0: chapter eight of the sword of damocles by anna catherine green this librivox recording is in the public domain shadows of the past memory the warder of the brain macbeth it was long past midnight the fire in the grate burned dimly shedding its lingering glow on the face of the master of the house as with bowed head and folded hands He sat alone and brooding before its dying embers. It was a lonesome sight. The very magnificence of the spacious apartment, with its lofty walls and glittering works of art, seemed to give an air of remoteness to that solitary form, bending beneath the weight of its reflections. From the exquisitely decorated ceiling to the Turkish rugs scattered over the polished floor all was elegant and luxurious and what had splendors like these to do with thoughts that bent the brows and overshadowed the lips of man the very lights burned deprecatingly illuminating beauties upon which no eye gazed and for which no heart beat the master himself seemed to feel this for he presently rose and put them out after which he seated himself as before only if possible with more abandon as if with the extinguishing of the light some eye had been shut whose gaze he had hitherto feared and in truth my lady's image shone fainter from its heavy panel and the smile which had met with unrelenting sweetness the glare of the surrounding splendor softened in the mellow glimmer of the firelight to an ethereal halo that left you at rest. One, two, three, the small clock sounded from the mantel, and yet no stir took place in the sombre figure keeping watch beneath. What were the thoughts which could thus detain from his comfortable bed a man already tired with manifold cares? It would be hard to tell. The waters that gush at the touch of the diviner's rod are tumultuous in their flow and rush hither and thither with little heed to the restraining force of rule and reason. But of the pictures that rose before his eyes in those dying embers, there were two which stood out in startling distinctness. Let us see if we can convey the impression of them to other eyes and hearts. First, the form of his mother ah grey-bearded men weighted with the cares of life and absorbed in the monotonous round of duties that to you are the be-all and end-all of existence to whom morning means a jostling ride to the bank the store or the office and with whom night is but the name for a worse unrest because of its unfulfilled promises of slumber what soul amongst you all is so callous to the holy memories of childhood as not to thrill with something of the old-time feeling of love and longing as the memory of that tender face with its watchful eye and ready smiles comes back to you from the midst of weary years your mother but edward sylvester with that black line across his life cutting past from present what makes him think of his mother to-night and the cottage door upon the hillside where she used to stand with eager eyes looking up and down the road as he came trudging home from school swinging his satchel and shouting at every squirrel that started across the road or peeped from the branches of the grand old maples overhead and the garret chamber under the roof the scene of many a romp with elsie and sunsea and jack neighbors children to whom the man of to-day would be an awe and a mystery and the little room where he slept with tom his own blue-eyed brother so soon to die of a wasting disease but full of warm blood then and all alive with boyish pranks he could almost hear the wild clear laugh with which the mischievous fellow started upon its travels the rooster whose legs he had tied a short space apart with one of sunsey's faded ribbons a laugh that became unrestrained when the poor creature in attempting to run down hill rolled over and over cutting such a figure before his late admirers the hens that even elsie smiled in the midst of her gentle entreaties and jocko the crow whom taming had made one of the boys poor jocko is it nearly thirty years since you used to stalk in majesty through the village streets with your neat raven coat closely buttoned across your breast and your genteel caw caw and condescending nod for old acquaintances the day seems but as yesterday when you marred the stolen picnic up in the woods by flying off with a flock of your fellow blackcoats nor is it easy to realize that the circle of tow-headed fellows who hailed with shouts your ignominious return after a day or so's experience of the vaunted pleasures of freedom are now sharp-featured men without a smile for youth or a thought beyond the hard cold dollar buried deep in their pockets and the church up over the hills and the long sunday walk at mother's side with the sunshine glowing on the dusty road and beating on the river flowing far beyond. The same road, the same river of Monday and Tuesday, but how different it looked to the boy, almost like another scene, as if Sunday clothes were on the world as well as upon his restless little limbs. How he longed for it to be Monday, though he did not say so, and what a different day Saturday would have been, if only there was no long sleepy sunday to follow it but the mother she did not dread that day her eyes used to brighten when the bell began to ring from the old church steeple her eyes how they mingled with every picture they seemed to fill the night what a sparkle they had yet how they used to soften at his few hurried caresses he was always too busy for kisses there were the snares in the north woods to be looked after the nest in the apple trees to be inquired into the skates to be ground before the river froze over the nuts to be gathered and stored in that same old garret chamber under the eaves but now how vividly her least look comes back to the tired man from the glance of wistful sympathy with which she met his childish disappointments to the flash of joy that hailed his equally childish delights. And another scene there is in the embers tonight A remembrance of later days, When the mother with her love and yearning Was laid low in the grave, And manhood had learned its first lessons Of passion and ambition From the glance of younger eyes And the smile of riper lips. Not the picture of a woman, however, that was already present beside him, shining from its panel with an insistence that not even the putting out of the lights could quite quench or subdue, but of a child, young, pure and beautiful, sitting by the river in the glow of a June sunshine, gazing at the hills of his boyhood's home, with a look on her face such as he had never before seen on that of child or woman, a simple picture with a simple villager's daughter for its centre. But as he mused upon it to-night, the success and triumph of the last ten years faded from his sight like the ashes that fell at his feet, and he found himself questioning in vain as to what better thing he had met in all the walks of his busy life than that young child's innocence and faith as they shone upon him that day from her soft uplifted eyes he had been sitting the whole warm noontide at the side of her whose half gracious half scornful wholly indolent acceptance of his homage he called love and enervated by an atmosphere he was as yet too inexperienced to recognize as of the world worldly had strolled forth to cool his fevered brow in the fresh autumn breeze that blew up from the river. He was a gay-hearted youth in those days, heedless of everything but the passing moment. Nature meant little to him, and when in the course of his ramble he came upon the form of a child sitting on the edge of the river, he remembers wondering what she saw in a sweep of empty water to interest her so deeply. Indeed he was about to inquire, when she turned and he caught a glimpse of her eyes and knew at once without asking. Yet in those days he was anything but quick to recognize the presence of feeling. A face was beautiful or plain to him, not eloquent or expressive. But this child's countenance was exceptional. It made you forget the cotton frock she wore. It made you forget yourself. As he gazed on it, He felt the stir of something in his breast he had never known before, And half dreaded to hear her speak, Lest the charm should fail or the influence be lost. Yet how could he pass on and not speak? Laying his hand on her head, he asked her what she was thinking of As she sat there all alone looking off on the river, And the wee thing drew in her breath, and surveyed him with all her soul in her great black eyes, before she replied, I do not know, I never know. Then, looking back, she dreamily added, It makes me want to go away, miles away. And she held out her tiny arms towards the river with a longing gesture, And it makes me want to cry. And he understood, or thought he did, and for the first time in his life looked upon the river that had met his gaze from childhood with eyes that saw its exceeding beauty. Ah, it was an exquisite scene, a rare scene, mountain melting into mountain and meadow vanishing into meadow till the flow of silver waters was lost in a horizon of Asia mist. No wonder that a child without snares to set or nuts together should pause a moment to gaze upon it as even he in the days gone by would sometimes stop on sabbath eves to snatch a kiss from his mother's lips it is like a fairyland is it not quoth the child looking up into his face with a wistful glance do you know what it is that makes me feel so he smiled and sat down by her side somehow he felt as if a talk with this innocent one would restore him more than a walk on the hills it is the spirit of beauty my child you are moved by the loveliness of the scene is it a new one to you no oh no but i always feel the same as if something here was hungry don't you know and she laid her little hand on her breast he did not know but he smiled upon her notwithstanding and made her talk and talk till the gush of the sweet child spirit with its hidden longings and but half understood aspirations bathed his whole being in a reviving shower and he felt as if he had wandered into a new world where the languors of the tropics were unknown and passion if there was such had the wings of an eagle instead of the siren's voice and fascination. Her name was Paula, she said, and before leaving, he found that she was a relative of the woman he loved. This was a slight shock to him. The lily and the cactus abloom on one stalk. How could that be? And for a moment, he felt as if the splendours of the glorious woman paled before the lustre of the innocent child but the feeling if it was strong enough to be called such soon passed as the days swept by bringing evenings with light and music and whispered words beneath the vine leaves the remembrance of the pure sweet hour beside the river gradually faded till only a vague memory of that gentle uplifted face sweet with its childish dimples remained to hallow now and then a passing reverie or a fevered dream but to-night its every lineament filled his soul vying with the memories of his mother in its vividness and power oh why had he not learned the lesson it taught why had he turned his back upon the high things of life to yield himself to a current that swept him on and on until the power of resistance left him and oh dwell not here wild thoughts pause not on the threshold of the one dark memory that blasts the soul and sears the heart in the secret hours of night let the dead past bury its dead and if one must think let it be of the hope which the remembrance of that short glimpse into a pure if infantile soul has given to his long-darkened spirit. One, two, three, four, and the fire is dead, and the night has grown chill, but he heeds it not. He has asked himself if his life's book is quite closed to the higher joys of existence, whether money-getting and money-holding is to absorb him, body and soul, forever, And with the question, a great yearning seizes him to look upon that sweet child again, if haply, in the gleam of her pure spirit, something of the noble and the pure that lay beneath the crust of life, might be again revealed to his longing sight. "'She must be a great girl now,' murmured he to himself." As old as, if not older than, she whom Bertram adores so passionately. But she will always be a child to me, a sweet, pure child, Whose innocence is my teacher, and whose ignorance is my better wisdom, If anything will save me. But here the shadow settled again. When it lifted, the morning ray lay cool and ghostly over the hearthstone. End of chapter 8